Father, we, we praise your holy, magnificent, wonderful name. Father, you made the earth and all that is in it. You made us individually. And you care, Lord. You caused your sun to rise on us today as an act of mercy. Oh, but Father, I pray that your word would rise in our hearts today and that we would see more of the glory of Christ, that we would see more of the wonder of the cross, that we would see more of the call that you have called us to live lives in simple devotion to you, lives transformed by the mighty work of your spirit. Oh, Father, I pray that every heart here today would be touched by your word. Father, our souls thirst for you in a parched land, Lord. Send your rain and manifest yourself in our midst. I ask this all through the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So the text that I'm going to be reading from today and we're going to be looking at is in Matthew chapter 18 from verse 1 down to verse 5. So beginning from verse 1 it says, At at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say unto you, unless you turn and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So we look out today in a world steeped in confusion and chaos. You know, you you just pick up a newspaper and you can see that. Confusion in the governments, confusion in the homes, in the schools, in the streets. Our world is laden with confusion. And we shouldn't be surprised at that. You know, God says in his word that there is no rest for the wicked. As long as the world denies the truth of God, there will be confusion and chaos. But even as we look into the church or, 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 you know, Christendom, the same chaos abounds. The same chaos and confusion is there. I read a, a statistic poll that over half the population adhere to, to being a Christian. They adhere to the Christian faith. They say that they are Christians. Well, clearly there's much confusion because where are they? If half of this nation was Christians born again, then this nation wouldn't be as it is. Righteousness wouldn't be overturned as it is. You know, there wouldn't be as it is. That is not true. There's, something's gone wrong. Something's gone wrong. And that's what I want us to look at today. And this is what Jesus addresses here. This is what he deals with. See, there's two lines that Satan attacks always if you look throughout history. If he can't make, if he can't take away the foundation of what Christianity is, so it's the, the doctrines, its essence, you know, and, and the reformers had to fight for that and, and that's been revived. So we have that. We understand justification by faith. We understand sanctification and all these doctrines. So we're okay there. But when it comes to how one enters the kingdom, many are confused. Many are confused within the body, within the church. It abounds. We've taken on the world's understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Now let's just look at the basic 
the, the most common views. And even as I am saying this, think of yourself, even I ask you, what is it to be a Christian? How does one enter the kingdom? What, what would be your answer? What are the main views? Moral reformation. A change of conduct. The man was once a drunkard, now he's not. He must be a Christian. The man was once a liar, he stopped lying. He must be a Christian. The man stopped cheating on his wife, he's not cheating no more. He must be a Christian. Is that what it means to be Christian? Change of character, moral reformation? Because there are plenty who can do that without Christ. And what's another one? Ethic, the Christian ethic, the way of life. You know, we have the smart people in high places who say, we can get rid of your doctrine. We don't want your doctrine, but we want your Christian ethic. We like that. We like love thy neighbor as thyself. But love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength? No, 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 no. We cast that out. So they take the Christian ethic, but they leave God out. And that would just degrade into legalism. And then we have a change of opinions. This is a common one. Change of opinions. Oh, you have people say, yeah, I, 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 I adhere to what the Bible teaches in that sense. I understand that Jesus came, he died, he I was taught that in Sunday school. I've believed that all my life. Therefore, I'm a Christian. I believe these fundamental truths. Does that make me, is that what it means to be a Christian? That you adhere to a statement of doctrines and you say, mm-hmm, I believe that? Or is it place, location? This is another common one. All the time I hear when I'm at work and I talk to people about faith and, and, and what do I hear? I hear, oh, I'm a Christian. I say, why? I was born here. My parents are Christians. I was born in this country where the majority are Christians. That makes me a Christian. So we have these common views of what it means to be a Christian. And if there's anything I would desire to leave with you today is to show you that they all fall so far short of what it means to be born of the Spirit of God. That it is not location, that it is not change of character only. These things are fruit. They can be fruit, but the root cause is a change of the heart. God comes into a man or a woman and transforms. Transforms the individual inside out. It is a magnificent work of God that far outshines the work of creation. For creation is said to be made with the fingers of God, but salvation is the extent of his arm. The light that shined on the darkness of the world at the beginning is the same light that has shined into a Christian's heart. Once again, the breath of life has been breathed into the man or woman and they've become a living being. The Christian has passed from death to life, from sin's, sin's dominion to God's dominion, from the seed of Adam to the seed of Christ. Oh, to be a Christian is the most glorious, wonderful, majestic experience, reality that you could ever be in. It is far above comprehension or thought, discovery. It is the treasure hidden in the field. It is the pearl of great price. And it grieves me when, I, when, I, when I'm at month, uh, in the church or amongst Christians and people give their testimonies and you have someone say, oh, you know, I, I, grew, up, I, I grew up in a Christian home, so I'm a Christian. Or, you know, I, my nan was a Christian or my dad. And I'm just thinking, no, no, you can't speak so lifelessly about this. Do you not understand what God has done here? 
He has resurrected the dead. If you are a Christian, you have been resurrected. The same power that brought Christ from the grave has brought you from the grave. If you can speak about a mountain range, a glorious mountain range with no life, if you can speak about the beauty of the sun, if you can speak about the stars and creation, as wonderful as you can, but then you come to what it means to be a Christian and you fall into some light, oh, it's just, you know, then there's something terribly wrong. And I just want to grab that person and say, no, understand what's happened to you. Understand what you were, understand what you are, understand the change that has taken place in your heart. And that's what it is, and that's what it means. That's what it means, essentially, to be a Christian. It is a wonderful, majestic work of God. It's a work of God. There's a, uh, the term I think best to describe it is, it is the life of God in the soul of man. It is the life of God in the soul of a man or woman. That is it. God's life implanted into that human being. And one of the greatest tragedies of this age is that we think too much of man or we think too little of mankind. We think too much of man when we say, oh, man can be autonomous, man doesn't need God, man can do what he... Man can self-sustain himself. He's God, he can self-sustain the earth and everything. And you just have to look through history and see that that is just absolutely wrong. But then, man thinks too little of himself. Because at the same time man says that, he also says, oh, but we're nothing but animals. We're just creatures of chance and chaos. We're nothing but formed atoms coming together at one point of a time and boom, you have man. So we think too little of man also. We need to put man in his rightful place under God, made in the image of God. And because of this, our concerns are always temporal. Our concerns, we have our concerns and they're temporal. Even as you came in today, what was on your mind? What was your concern? The car, the money, the clothes, bills. I know because to some degree that's on my mind. But was there any concern for your soul? The condition of your soul? Is there a concern in your relationship with Christ, which is of eternal value? Eternal value. The bills will go one day. You will die one day. That's the reality. And all that will matter is where you stood in your relationship with Christ. All that will matter is if you knew him. If you knew him. So is there a concern for your soul? Is there a concern to grow in Christ-likeness, to know him, to love him, to serve him, to be his image-bearer in this fallen world? Is there a concern for his kingdom? How can I advance? All these things, is there a concern for your soul? Do you have that concern? And I know you're not going to get that from the world because the world tells you everything and its whole system and culture is to drive you away from the reality that you are a soul and that you have an eternal destiny, heaven or hell, and it says, no, forget about that. Live now, eat now, for tomorrow we die. That is the world's outview. But that is a lie, a lie, a lie, a terrible lie. And this was Christ's concern. Christ preached the kingdom. Christ preached the kingdom. When he came into the world... 
His concern was the souls of men, bringing them back to God. That is his ultimate concern. You know, think of the story of the, 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 the paralytic man. Christ is there preaching. The house is crowded. No one can get into the house. There's so much room. People stepping on each other and so on and so forth. And these people need to bring their friend to get healed. So they go onto the roof, open the roof and lay, bring him down. What does Christ say? Christ doesn't immediately say, oh, you're healed. He says, no, your sins are forgiven. He says, your sins are forgiven. From our view, that man's greatest need was to be healed. He's a paralyzed man. Could anything be more worse in that sense? You're not paralyzed. But Christ looked at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Christ's concern was the condition of his soul, not so much his body. And so as you come here today, and as we come to the word of God, Christ wants to deal with our souls. He is the physician of our souls, and that's what his concern is. That's why he preached the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of another realm, the kingdom where men and women are being redeemed. That is his concern. And I pray, I pray that will be my concern. See, this business of getting up here and preaching and speaking, it's not so much to make you feel good or to feel comfortable. Though I desire you feel good and I would like you to feel comfortable, I want the best for you, but this business of preaching which Christ undertook, which the prophets undertook, which has been throughout church history is to bring men and women back into a relationship with God at whatever the cost to, to get this word out and communicate it and that is my desire here that is my desire that there be no single person among us who is not in this kingdom that there be no one among us who does not know him because there's nothing else you need at this current position right now than to know Christ and see, so there is a great danger and a blessing in hearing the gospel, in hearing the gospel preached week in, week out. There's a great danger and also a great blessing. The same sun that hardens wax, hardens clay, can melt wax. You know, we can sit under the same sun of righteousness and one can be hardened, but the other can melt with love and adoration for the Saviour. So this is the greatest question you could ever pose yourself now. No, it seriously is. It's not a joke. It seriously is the greatest question you could ask yourself now that I could ask you. Have I entered the kingdom? Have I entered the kingdom? Am I in this kingdom? The kingdom of heaven. And so I want us to consider and answer that question. And first I want to look at, look at the disciple, the, the context in which this is said. Now notice, the disciples come to Jesus. The disciples come to Jesus with a question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They ask. And Jesus' response is, you must turn and become. You must turn and become to enter. You will not even enter. But notice, what's startling here and what we can't pass by is the fact that it was the disciples that Jesus said this to. He's not speaking to the world. If he said that to the world, we could just read through this and be like, oh yeah, it makes sense, turn and become. He's speaking to the ones who were following him. 
He's speaking to the ones who outwardly ticked every box. Think of their lives up to this point. This is chapter 18. So you have the, the whole 18 chapters before. Think of what they've done. They've left all. Peter left all. Business, fisherman business to follow Christ. Levi left the tax booth to follow Christ. They had responded to the call. They have changed their opinion about him. They had saw some of his glory. They have made enough to follow him. They had even left family, houses. They had been more extreme right now than any of us have been in giving up for Christ. They were following him 24-7, seeing his miracles, with him all day. They were with him. These are the disciples he's saying this to. These are the disciples he's saying this to. Think of what they had done. They had preached, cast out demons, done mighty works. They had done everything outwardly. What I said earlier, they had changed. I'm sure they were no longer living in outward sin. Matthew left the, the tax booth. He had given up his, you know, Simon the Zealot had given up his, the, the ways of, of rebellion against the Roman Empire. They were following him. Moral Reformation ticked. They had that. They were taken on Christ. They heard the Sermon on the Mount and they wanted to put it into practice. Christian ethic, they heard that. Tick, they got that. Change of opinions. Before this, Peter said, you are the son of the blessed. They believed. Do you have, you have these? So they had these. They had these. Places of location, children of Israel. The right. The right to salvation. The covenant right. So outwardly, they had everything. It's, it's, you, it's actually quite shocking that he said, if this doesn't startle you and causes your spiritual senses to arise, then there's something wrong because look who he's saying this to, the 12. But look at the question. The question reveals the problem. They came to Jesus and said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? See, this question reveals the condition of their heart. It reveals that the old Adam, the self-driven life was still in them. That the little grace in them was so small that the carnal man was so still in control. It shows the condition of their heart. It shows that the root of sin was still lodged there. They were still concerned with me, 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 me. They were still living out the lie of Satan, you shall be as God. You know, that is, if you want to know the root of sin, that is it. Every, it flows from that lie. You shall be as God. It's the great, you shall be as God. And this is exactly their question. Who's the greatest? I want to be the greatest. Oh, I like this kingdom you're setting up, Jesus. I want to be prime minister. It's about me. What can you, what can you give me, Christ? See, they hadn't, they hadn't, they've given up everything outwardly, but inwardly they were still holding on to their self, holding on to their image. Pride was still at the root of it. And so their question reveals the condition of their heart. And fundamentally, that's why Jesus responded as he did. 
But let us not pass over what God is saying here. Let us not pass over this. Outwardly, I said, outwardly they ticked every box. Please don't pass over it. Outwardly they ticked every box. They had that. They had that. But they needed an inward transformation. The disciples here manifested the drastic need of a change of nature, a change of heart, a change of internal disposition. That's what they've manifested here. The need of an inward transformation for entering the kingdom. And without this, no one can enter the kingdom. No one could. That, that's the words of Jesus. He says it right here clearly. Unless you turn, become, you cannot enter. So let's look at this word turn. What does it mean? Now, in the ESV it's translated turn, but I like the other translations that translate it convert because it, it, it makes it more clearer. When Jesus is saying here you must turn, he's saying you must be changed, you must be converted. You know, think of a, there was a, a show that I used to watch years ago called Pimp My Ride. And, um, you know, they would get an old rusty car, terrible looking car, they would bring it and these guys would convert it. The car would undergo a conversion and it would be something new. You wouldn't even know it was the same car. It would be totally new. It went on, undergo, underwent a conversion. So this word turn literally means, literally means, if you look at it, turn oneself about. Literally, turn around. It's, it's, it's incredible. Turn around. Conversion. You undergo a conversion. He's saying to the disciples, yes, you've ticked outwardly every box. Yes, you've made that external commitment. But your heart must be transformed to enter. Your heart must be transformed. You must undergo a conversion. Now, you know, this, this is the greatest miracle that can ever take place in, 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 in the life of someone, you know. Many people run around and they're looking for signs and wonders. They're looking to heal, you know. And, and that's good. We need, we need to be about healing people and so on. But the greatest miracle that can take place in someone's life is that their soul come alive with the glory of God. The greatest miracle. And if you've undergone that, then you've undergone the greatest miracle. Now let's look at quickly John chapter 3 where Jesus deals with Nicodemus because he kind of deals with this. It would help us to understand this more. In, Jesus, in John chapter 3, Gospel of John from uh, verse 1, it says, Now a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is born of spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. 
So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So here we have probably you know, a great example of, of, of what I'm saying here. We have a great example of what Jesus is saying about turning and becoming, about this inward transformation that takes place to enter the kingdom. You know, think of Nicodemus, his character. Again, outwardly, no spot. He's a master and a teacher of Israel. This is like, you can't get higher than that. Respected by all, loved by all. You know, he was a master in the word. You know, he knew the Bible. He knew the Bible back to front. And he was even fascinated with Christ to the point that he would even risk his reputation in going to see him. He would even risk his reputation in going to see Christ. He goes to him by night and he poses this question. He says, Rabbi, well, it's not even a question, but he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God was with him. But Jesus seems to just stop him in his tracks and says, no, 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 no. You must be born again. Your problem is not that you need some touching up or that you just need to build on this foundation. No, your foundation is broken. You don't need to just put skin on these bones. You need life in this skeleton. You need, it. You need a whole transformation. You, you're run from foundation up. It's all run. Everything you have is run. You must be born again. That's what he says to him. That's what he says. He says, you must be born again. Now, Nicodemus had everything up, everything outwardly, everything that we would say makes a man a Christian. He had, but he didn't have the transformation of heart. He didn't have it. And you see how far one can venture. You remember... Um, Ah, Festus, I think it was, in, in Acts anyway, and, and hearing Paul preach, Paul's preaching and he says, you almost, do you think I'm, I'm going to become a Christian? You almost made me a Christian. Almost he became a Christian. But he loved to hear Paul's preaching. It says that he would go out, listen to him. But he almost became a Christian, but he wasn't. So I'm telling you, we can venture far in the shores of grace and truth and yet never land Never land and build. Just always on the shores. At best. And so, what Jesus is saying here is monumental. It, it shifts the whole changing. I mean, how would we deal with this? Like I said, we would have saw Nicodemus being like, that man's a Christian. 100%. That great, great guy. Great guy. That's what we would have done. But Jesus meets him and says, no, you must be born again. Completely alters it to the point where Nicodemus says how, how can this be? How can a man be born when he's already been born? How can a man go into the mother's womb and come out again? And Jesus says do not marvel that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound but you do not where, know where it's coming from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. See that which is flesh is of flesh. That which is spirit of spirit. What Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom of God is a completely different realm. That the flesh cannot know, inherit, see, touch, understand. That you need drastic change within you in order to comprehend and see it. He says you can't even see it. You don't even have sight of it. 
You don't have the spiritual ability, the spiritual discernment, the spiritual comprehension to see the kingdom, to see the king. You must be given a spiritual nature, spiritual eyes to see the kingdom of God. It is of a different realm. It's of a different atmosphere, you can say. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And to some degree, you know, it goes back to Adam in the garden. There he is and he died. You know, he bit the fruit. He'd done what God didn't tell him to do. You know, he rebelled, he sinned, Adam and Eve, and he bit the fruit and he died. The spirit of God left him. And he, he died spiritually. The communion that he once had with God was now gone to the point that even when God came in the garden, he's hiding. Because the enjoyment, the love, the fellowship that he once had with him is now gone. The spirit had gone. The spirit had left in that sense. Now man still has a spirit, a mind, a soul and all these things. But when it comes to knowing God, man simply can't know him. Man can't know him. That's why you can have the greatest philosophers, the greatest scientists do their debating and speaking all day and never come to the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his will, the knowledge of Christ. And Paul puts this really well in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 from verse 12. He says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart these words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. For the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. They're foolishness, the things of God, they're foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. For the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now Paul just says it there. I don't even need to add words to that. It's just it's clear. He says, look, the natural man doesn't understand spiritual things. Foolishness. Even as I sit here and I speak about the kingdom and Christ and God, is it foolishness to you? Is it just like, ah, oh, I know this, I've heard this. Or are you, do, you, do you love to hear the gospel? Do you love to be in the word? Do you love the fellowship of the brethren? Do you have that spiritual, spiritual... Do you have the mind of Christ? That's what it means. That's what he's saying. He says you need a different mind in order to understand spiritual things. So, one, so you need to be born again. You need a whole new alteration of your nature to enter into the kingdom. You must turn, is what he's saying. You must be turned. That's what Christ said. A new life is needed. A new life is needed. A new life is needed. To illustrate this, you think of a, of a baby coming into the world. You know, a baby's there in the womb. All it knows is the darkness and whatever else is going on in the womb. I don't know, because I can't remember. But all that's going on in the womb, that's all it knows. And then what happens? It's born and it comes out into the light and it's like, whoa! Crying at the glory of it all. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's what happens. But it's, what I'm trying to say is that 
takes in a whole new world that it didn't know. It sees things it never saw. It hears things. It, it, it's a whole new world. It's got new senses. It's a whole new life. It's a new being. It's something completely new. So it is when a man is born of the Spirit. New life. He comes out into the world and he's like, Whoa! Whoa! He comes out into the world and he's like, Whoa! You know, this is... What's happened? I, I remember when... I remember when I became a believer, and, uh, and it always, I always think back to it because it's amazing. And I just remember, you know, before I would look at the stars and stuff, and it just wouldn't bother me. I'd be like, yeah, they're there. But I remember when I became a believer, I was driving my car back home, and I saw the stars, and I was just taken by their glory. I said, this is God. I saw the hand of God in it. I saw the one behind. I saw his handiwork. I saw that it was only artwork pointing to the perfect artist. I saw Christ in it. I saw God in it. When you're born of the Spirit, you're given that spiritual sense that you can see God now. You see him. You have ears that you, you hear differently. You speak differently. You feel differently. You're, you're new. It, you really are new. It's not... You really are. That's what he's saying here. He's saying something really does happen. So we must be turned. We must undergo conversion. We must be born again to enter the kingdom. It is of a different realm. And we must be brought into that realm. We must be given the sense, the ability to go into that realm. And so, what's the outcome? There must be an outcome. If this change has taken place in an individual, surely you're going to see it. Surely you're going to see it. Well, Christ says you will see it because look what he says. He says, unless you turn and become like children, he says, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's the manifestation of it. Whoever humbles himself, whoever humbles himself, what's the inevitable outcome of this? Humility. Humility. The evidence is humility. Now, I'm, I'm standing here and I'm, and I'm, you know, I, I'm, I was able to come here on my own. I was able to drive my car. I was able to make myself breakfast and do all these other things. You know, I'm, I'm self-sufficient in that way. I don't need mum to help me no more. Or that, you know, I can do that. But if I were to be turned into a child again, if I were to take on the character of a child, I wouldn't be able to go home. You would need to take me to go. You would need to take me. I would need help. I would be completely different in the sense of how I act. And my point is just that, when someone is born of the Spirit, when someone undergoes this transformation, when someone has been turned by the work of God, you're, it's evident. It's, there'll be fruit. And what Jesus is saying here is that that fruit will show itself in humility, whoever humbles himself. Or think of a, a pig. Now, a pig by nature loves the dirt. If you, you, know, if you had five-star meal here and bowl of slop there, you gave the pig the choice, it's going to the slot. It loves it. That's its nature, that's what it likes. It likes dirt and stuff like that. But if, we, you, if you had the power to change that pig, the nature of it, into that of a sheep, it would jump out of there and say, what am I doing here? It would act differently. It, would, it could no longer live in the dirt. It could no longer be in it. So my point is that when God lays hold of a human being, a soul, and works in him, one is changed. One is changed. 
So the outcome is humility. You must become a child in order to receive this kin. You must become a child in order to receive this kin. See, as long as self, as long as the great, you want greatness, as long as that is what's reigning in your heart, as long as Adam is still there in full power and sway, you cannot receive the king. You cannot receive the kingdom because of its claims. Now, we have a prevailing view that when Christ, Christ claims nothing from us, I don't know where you get that from because the scripture is clear that when Christ calls people to him, to discipleship, what does he say? He says, you must give up all. You must, you must lose everything in order to follow me. There is that term which he lays. He terms, his terms are complete and absolute surrender. When Christ calls us to him to follow him, his terms are surrender, surrender, surrender all to me. I will come into your life and be kin. I will reign over you. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. He's a king. Yes, he's a savior. And we exalt that. Yes, he's gentle, meek, lowly Jesus. Yes, but he's the reigning king of glory. And he will be received as a king or not received at all. That's the only way to receive him. Now think of two kingdoms illustrate this. Think of two kingdoms. You have one kingdom here. This kingdom suffering famine, decay. It's, you know, going through a terrible time. The kingdom is being destroyed in and of itself. It's decaying, falling apart. Then there's another kingdom, prosperous. Has everything it needs. Everything's going well in this kingdom. Everything is going well in this kingdom. So you have these two kingdoms. And then one, an individual in this kingdom, this kingdom which is, is, is suffering, decay, this kingdom of darkness, awakens. He, he hears a call from this kingdom saying, look, you can come. Everyone who's dying in that kingdom, come to my kingdom. I am gracious and compassionate. I will forgive. Come into this kingdom. I will receive you. So this one in this kingdom thinks to himself, he says, I've been living in this kingdom. I've been serving this kingdom. He's not been paying my wages. He's been promising me satisfaction. I've got nothing. He's only taken and not give. He's seen that this kingdom is passing away. It's decaying and I'm dying with it. It's just a matter of time before it's all over. And so he flees to the kingdom that is prosperous. He flees to the kingdom. But now he comes to the gate. And there's terms. If you're in one kingdom and another kingdom... There's hostility going on. There's war going on. You're in one kingdom and there's war going on between these two kingdoms. So you can't just roll up there and say, yeah, let me come in and still have your same mind, your same attitude, still be in the same state of rebellion. What is the king in a human sense? Now, what is the king? That, he wants absolute surrender. He wants you to acknowledge him as king and lord and that now you are under his dominion and reign and rule. So to put this in a spiritual reality, now this is reality, kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light, kingdom of Satan, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. We by nature are in this kingdom of darkness, by nature, that's where we're born, that's where we grow up. But then we awaken, God awakens us and we see the plight of it and we flee to this one. But God 
when we come to that gate, God says, give up all. You must give up all. You must lay down your weapons which you have been fighting against him. You must lay down your weapon of intellect. I can't understand these things in the Bible, therefore I can't believe. No, that must be laid down. You must lay down the weapon of opinion. What will my friends say? What will people say about me? Will I look cool anymore? Will people think I'm a, you know, I'll be an outcast if I say I'm a Christian? You must lay that down. Every weapon that you fight against, it must be laid down. That's the only way to enter. That's the only way to enter into the kingdom. As long as self is ruling and reigning, as long as it's about you, you can't enter. You can't enter. See, when one is turned... Self is dethroned. Self, it's no longer about you. Why? Because you've seen a bigger and better thing. Oh, to live for yourself is the most terrible existence. It's absolute, to live for me, what is this? What am I? What are you? To live for yourself. But to live for this king, who is of ultimate glory, who is infinite, self-sufficient, self-contained, who relies and depends on no man or anything, who gives freely to all, whose beauty is unexplainable, who the angels adore and worship continually. Him, to serve him, to receive him, to have him in the throne of your heart. There's nothing better, nothing better. And that's why we were made. That's why you're alive. That's why you're alive, is to know him. It's to know him. It's to know him. Where it was all about you, it's now all about him. Now, it's, it's, it, the question we have to ask is have we entered the, kin, the kin's realm? Have we entered this kingdom? It's a sobering question. But it has to be asked because Jesus said it. And I read it. He said, <laughs> that's what he says. He says, unless you become, unless you turn and become, you cannot enter. It's serious business. It's serious stuff. <clears throat> Have you entered the king's realm? Have you turned and become? Have you gone from living as the pig now to living as the sheep? Have you gone from that kingdom of darkness and decay into the kingdom of the blessed one? Have you or do you have reform? You might say, hey, I'm a moral man, I'm sound, I, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not a liar. Yes, but self is still ruling and reigning in you and that's the root of all sin. You may have opinion, you may say, no, but wait a minute, I, 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 believe these, even what you're, I believe these truths, even what you're saying, yes, Jesus is king, I believe that, I was taught that from young, always believed it. You may have that. You may ha be brought up in the best Christian home possible, and thank God if you were, because that's such a blessing. But that doesn't make you Christian. Just the same way when a Catholic baptizes a baby in water, doesn't make that child regenerate. Regenerate it. doesn't make them born again. So what do you have? What do you have? Have you entered the kingdom? Have you undergone? Have you turned and become? That's, what, that's, that's the way to enter. That's the way to enter and Jesus said it. It's the way to enter. There's no other way to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
the kingdom of everlasting bliss, the kingdom that will never fade nor die, the kingdom that will reign, the kingdom that was cut from the rock and broke the statue of gold and so on. This kingdom will be forever. Are you in this kingdom? Because the reality is, and even as my friend was, went to a funeral, the reality is, is that we try to ignore it with all our might, and that's what the culture does, but the reality is, is that this, it's life and death. It's life and death. It's heaven and it's hell. It's sin and it's Christ. It's these things that we're dealing with and that we're looking at, what Christ came to do, it's that serious. You know, we think we're so able, but we're fragile. The Bible says that we're dust from the earth. Just dust. At any moment, the breath of the Lord breathes and we're gone. We're like the grass of the field. All our glory is like the flower. One minute there, one minute gone. That's what the Bible says. That's what scripture says. But even though we are, we're so gloriously loved by God, which is the amazement of it all. So have you come to the end of yourself? That's the question. Have you come to the end of yourself? Humility is coming to the end of yourself. It's taking your eyes from yourself and putting it onto the greater one. Humility, that's what it is. Or C.S. Lewis put it, if I can remember it, but I really like the, the, the definition. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. You stop, it's no longer about you, it's about him. And that's the only way to receive this kin. This is the work that God does in us. He humbles us so that we can enter in. He changes us so that we are able to. And have you come to that place? Have you realized your need for a new heart? Have you realized your need for a new mind? Have you realized your need that when you come to the Bible, you, you, you get nothing from it? You, you need more. Have you realized that need? Unless God doesn't work, I'm finished. Unless God doesn't save me, I cannot save myself. Everything I have does not compete. I need Christ. I need him to cause me to be born again. You know, when we look at the revivals, one of the main doctrines that they preached is the new birth. And that's why everybody hated them. Because they went round saying exactly what Jesus says. Unless you turn and become, your baptism as a baby does not save you. Your moral uprightness does not save you. Your opinion on whether Christianity is true or not essentially does not save you. You can have all these things but miss him. Do you see this? Is it a concern? Do you, do you see this? But notice that the love of God is so, the love of Christ, the love of the kin is so manifested here. You know, he wants children in his kingdom. Children. Now, when we look at our culture, our culture does not like children. It doesn't like you to have children. It says, no, 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 no. One's enough. Don't have loads because they're burden you. <laughs> it looks at children as a burden and not a blessing. That's our culture. Don't have loads of children. Don't burden yourself. Terrible. Because Christ, Jesus says, have children in, in covenant marriage. Have children. But look what God says. God says he will take children. He will take those 
who cannot uphold themselves. He will take those that are weak. He will take those that are humble. He will take those that are broken, who have come to the end of their self, who have nothing to plead, no promise to, who have nothing. Those he will take freely. Any child, he will take you with all your failure and all your misery and everything that we have, all my sin, all my problems, all my issues, all my, he will take me if I come in humility. He will receive me. He wants children. Not proud adults, he wants children. And he is infinite in resources to take care of you. It's not like what the culture says, oh, you need to have 10 jobs to look after 10 children. No, he's enough, he'll look after you. He has resource upon resource, grace upon grace, glory upon glory that he will give you. He will give you. There's no better place to be, there's no greater place to be than in this kingdom with him the king who holds you before you beside you who closes you in it's wonderful it's wonderful and so he'll receive you no matter what if you come in that childlikeness he'll receive you if you cry out god do this work in me he will do it he will do it you may have to wait like a child but he will come like a father grab you and hold you up and raise you up. And it is the most greatest thing to turn and become, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, to come into the reign of King Jesus. It's the greatest place you could ever be. My question is, if you see that you have everything but that, go to him. As a child. No, seriously though. Because we can have religion and it just kills us. We can have everything but it's nothing. It's not worth anything. Christ is coming. The day of judgment is coming. Death is looming. These realities are true and we can't hide ourselves from them because they're uncomfortable. We can't. Not for the sake of truth. True for all costs. True for all costs. And it's wonderful as well is that when you come into the kingdom, growth in Christ is a growth in childlikeness. Growth is not independence, but dependence. You don't grow as we grow naturally, or you grow and you no longer need your parents. No, the more we grow in Christ, the more we see our need. The more we cling to him, the more we're dependent upon him, the more we need him. The more we are humbled. And that's the place. If my prayer is that God will just raise up in our midst and in the church people who just become children for the sake of the kingdom, who will just believe his promise. You know, when you think about all the men of, and women of God in, 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 the, in the scriptures, what were they, great in ability? Were they great in intelligence? What were they? If you read their stories, they wasn't. There was nothing different about them between... Meet you and them, there's no difference. But what they were, they were people who were childlike towards God. They trusted Him, they trusted His Word, trusted His Word. Read Hebrews 11, and you see it there. Men of like nature as us, but they trusted Him and they prevailed with Him because of their humility. God gives grace to the humble but resists the proud. And there's no grace he will not give you when you come in your utter unworthiness, your utter emptiness, and you say, Christ, 
Fill me. God, fill me. He'll do it. So I just... So just... We need, we, need to, we need to think about these things because they're serious. And if you haven't entered the kingdom today, I beckon you with all my heart. I plead with you, come into the kingdom. Come to Christ. He is able. He is mighty to save. There is nothing that stops you. The cross removed it all. Come to him. Receive him as your own. He's got a righteousness he will give to you. Power he will bestow upon you. There's nothing, no need, no reason for you not to come into his kingdom. Come to Christ. He'll receive you, no matter what, no matter how far you've gone off. He'll receive you and he'll raise you up. He'll take you by the hand. Come to Christ. Come to him today. Come to him. Come to him. And say, God, grow this. Make me a child. Make me a child. Give me the humility which is able to wrestle. Give me the humility which is able to believe. And he will do it. He is faithful and gracious, compassionate, kind and merciful, glorious. He will do it. So that's my prayer. And I pray it will be your prayer. And let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you come to us really as a father. And you receive children. You make us children that you do such a work within us. We are born of your spirit. And you give us the ability to know, to believe, to receive. And you have given us a kingdom which will never end, which will never fade, which will never decrease but only increase. Thank you, Lord. And I pray now that you would just search hearts, Lord. Search every heart of every individual here, Lord. And show us where we stand. Show us where we've been proud. Show us if we have not entered. Show us if we have everything like Nicodemus, like... Show us, Lord. And bring us into your kingdom. Really and truly. Do the work that only you can do. Raise up those who know you within our midst, within your church, Lord. Revive your people, We cry out for this. I cry out for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.